Hey guys, Veronica, Andrew, and Nate here. We are Foodies Watching Movies, a podcast dedicated to awesome movies, great food, and that's about it. Check us out on the JIC Network at www.journeyintocomics.com. Maybe throw some money over to our Patreon so we can eat this week. And now your feature presentation. Following the following journey into comics. 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 Network. 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 Production. Production. We interrupt the Journey into Comics Network feed for this late-breaking edition of Poor News, featuring Andrew Poor. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is Poor News, the show covering everything news-related that's not fun for anyone to listen to. This is your political news, your international news, things that aren't sometimes the happiest stories to talk about. But I am Andrew Poor, I am your host, and I'm here to bring them to you every other week opposite Poor Entertainment. This is day two of my slow takeover of the Journey into Comics Network, so... We'll definitely see what happens tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the next day. I'm still a little sick. As you can see, I probably sound a little congested. I'm uh, still shaking off this cold I've had for a week and a half now, so just bear with me as I get through some news for today. And first things first, before I really get into the news, something happened uh, probably a couple months ago with Chris Plant from Kids for Sale. Um, said hey, poor news should talk about, like, stocks and bonds and all that stuff. More adulting, like, finance money, all that. I have never done anything with that. So, at my bachelor party, one of my friends was like, hey, you should uh, check out this app. It's called Robinhood. You uh, put a little money in, and then you just invest stocks and buy and trade and all that. So, I was like, oh, sure. So, I threw a little bit of money in and got into uh, managing a few stocks and before, and before you even think about really doing this, um, it's nice if you do it with your friends. Like, if you sign up through their link, you get a free stock of your choice, and there's a 1 in 300 chance you get, like, an Apple or a Google or, like, one of those really high-value stocks, but I didn't do that. I put just barely any money, and I bought... I have four different stocks right now. I have a stock in Groupon, which is what they gave me. That's the stock that I got for free when I signed up through my buddy's link. And then I have a stock of Ford, Ford Motor Company, uh, just because got a gotta support the auto industry one uh stock of chronos which is uh a medical marijuana company which has been doing great for me and then siri like or not siri sorry sirius xm it's their shortest siri which throws me off but and then some sirius xm stock and if you are a person who just stresses about your money and don't want to see it fluctuate don't get into stocks because i'll pull this app open Five or six times a day, and I'm like, ah, oh, it's down, oh, it's up, oh, it's down, oh, it's up. Should I sell? Should I buy? I just so don't do it. I think I need to sell off and just have like twenty dollars in stocks. Just have like my one stock of Ford and maybe my two stocks of Groupon and just leave it at that. But I don't know. But actually, today my Ford stock is actually doing really well. I bought in at like eight twenty, and now it's sitting at nine thirty four. So like I'm up like a buck, which is not a lot of money, but it's exciting. Especially like when I bought in that Chrono stock, like. $10, it's on the rise, and now it's sitting at under 8 I'm like, oh, gosh. But So the thing about stocks, just don't do it to get rich. If you Or if you need the money, like, tomorrow, it's not like playing, like, the lottery. You're not going to get big gains overnight. It's 
up and down and up and down and up and down and you just need to be patient so definitely don't have the temperament for this but so far everything else seems to be going going pretty good i'm uh still positive money which is good not like when you're gambling when you're like i'm up and then i'm down but it's the same kind of idea just know when to get out and if you if you don't miss the money just leave it in there and just see what it does after a month or a two months or half a year, whatever you want to do. I mean, some people don't touch this for years on end. This is like your 401k, but I'm still getting used to it. I'm definitely going to reduce down. I have 50 bucks in here now, and I'm probably going to stick it at 25 for a while just because it's less to worry about. Like, if I lose $25, it's not a big deal. If I lose 50 it's like, ah, it kind of sucks, but could be worse. Like, one of my buddies has like a grand, and I'm like, ah, I don't like that. Because you have a grand of money that's there, but you have no access to it. Because once it's in the app, it's kind of locked in there until you sell. And then that's sit in your account for a few days because it's... So you don't use it to money launder. So you can't, like, put a bunch of money in there and pull it back out to clean, to wash the money. So, yeah, all that fun stuff. But speaking of money, I'll get into the news of this show. And that involves some stuff that happened last week for people who, like I said, play the lottery. So... Two Powerball winners reported for Saturday's $688 million jackpot, the fourth largest in U.S. history. Now, Powerball players in Iowa and New York are waking up a lot richer on Sunday following Saturday night's massive drawing. Winning tickets were sold at those states for the game's top prize, according to the official Powerball website. The jackpot was originally estimated at $750 million, but worked out to $687.8 million by the time of the drawing. <coughs> the jackpot is the fourth largest in U.S. history. The number picked in Saturday night's drawing were 8, 12, 13, 19, and 27, with a Powerball of 4. The drawing came four days after someone won a 1.537 billion Mega Millions jackpot, the second largest prize. That ticket was sold in South California. I don't know whether they say South California. California is only one state for now, and it, southern the southern area of California, I don't know. There's no, it's not two states, just call it. Oh no, sorry, I totally misread that. It was South Carolina. I'm tired and I'm a little sick. I totally misread that. Ignore my rant, South Carolina. Okay, moving on. No one had won the Powerball jackpot since August 11th, and the odds of matching all six numbers and taking home the grand prize were 1 in 302.5 million. The 688 million prize refers to the annuity option paid annually over 29 years. Because of Saturday night's winners, the estimated jackpot of the next drawing on Tuesday is 40 million, the Powerball website said. Hey, I'd still take 40 million any day. Doesn't have to be multi. It. I'll take a million. I'll take half a million. I'll take any sum of money winning. <laughs> Just give me. <laughs> and getting out of this to more straight into political news, which is this article from Politico. The powerful weapon House Republicans handed Democrats. A GOP rule change handed unilateral subpoena authority to many House committee chairmen. Democrats cried foul, but now they hope to use it against Trump. So Democrats eager to investigate the Trump administration if they seize the House would have the GOP to thank for one of their most potent tools, a sweeping subpoena authority that Democratic lawmakers denounced as an abuse of power grab three years ago. House Republicans changed the rule in 2015 to allow many of their committee chairmen to issue subpoenas without consulting the minority party, overriding Democrats' objections that liken the tactic to something out of the McCarthy era. Now, the weapon that the GP wielded dozens of times against President Barack Obama's agencies could allow Democrats to bombard President Donald Trump's most controversial appointees with demands for information. And many Democrats are itching to use it. The Republicans have set the standard, and by God, we're going to emulate that standard, 
Rep. Jerry Connolly, Democrat from Virginia, told Politico. Oversight would be one of the few concrete goals the Democrats would accomplish with control of only one chamber of Congress and Trump still in the White House. They have a long list of potential targets, including likely demands for Trump's tax returns and probes into cabinet members such as Education Secretary Betsy DeVos and Interior Secretary Ryan Zinke. Zinke? Yeah. Before the 2015 rule change, most House subpoenas needed at least some bipartisan cover, requiring a majority vote of committee members and a consultation with the panel's ranking member. The change erased those requirements and allowed the chairman to proceed unilaterally, although the exact rules vary by committee. Of the 29 standing committees in the House, 14 allow their chairman to issue subpoenas of their, on their own initiative, according to the Congressional Reach Service. Officially, House Democrats haven't said whether they will keep the subpoena authority if they end up in charge, but three years ago, Democrats slammed the move as an abuse of the minority party's rights and break with generations of tradition, once they warned they would lead to a long-term consequences. It says a terrible president would likely become a permanent fixture for the committee. New Jersey Rep. Frank Pallone, the top Democrat on the Energy and Commerce Committee, said at a January 2015 hearing, I think that subpoena authority is a powerful authority and should be only used as a last resort. 16 Democrats ranking... 16 Democratic ranking members blasted the move in a February 2015 letter, warning that the move evoked the abusive model of unilateral subpoenas used by the likes of former Senator Joe McCarthy and the former House Oversight Chairman Dan Burton and Daryl Issa. Even some Republicans worried that giving committee chairmen subpoena power <clears throat> would eventually come back to haunt them. I thought it was a mistake then, but they did it. Retiring Rep. Joe Barton, Republican of Texas, told Politico in a recent interview, It's a powerful tool. You should either vote it on it or it should be bipartisan. But such warnings fell on deaf ears amid GOP accusations that Obama's agencies were blocking or slow-walking their oversight efforts. One of the most aggressive to the use of the new authority was House Science Chairman Lamar Smith, who issued dozens of subpoenas to the Obama administration. He demanded records on then-EPA Administrator Gina McCarthy's text messages, information on two state attorneys generals and environmental groups, over probing whether ExxonMobil misled investors about the risk of climate change. And emails concerning a study on climate change, among others. A spokeswoman for Smith did not respond to requests for comment, but he boasted during the uh, September 26th hearing that he had issued 25 and still counting subpoenas in the first year and a half of holding that power. Before 2015, the committee had not issued a single subpoena in 21 years. That's quite a jump. Congressional subpoenas should be used sparingly, Smith said in October 2017 House Judiciary Committee hearing. However, their use became the norm due to the obstruction of our efforts to obtain basic information pertaining to public safety, science, and research. Smith's panel was certainly not alone. In 2015, House Financial Services Chairman Jeb Hedarseling, Republican from Texas, used the unilateral subpoena power for the first time in the panel's 150-year history, prompting objections from top committee Democratic Maxine Waters of California, Maryland Rep. Elijah Cummings, the top Democrat on the House Oversight Committee, claiming that ISA's 100-plus point far exceed. The total of 78 subpoenas that both Republicans and Democratic leaders of that panel had sent from 2003 to 2010, rarely without the concurrence of the majority. Concurrence, sorry, of the minority. One House Democratic aide said Waters would no doubt want to subpoena the Trump administration, which became the Financial Services Chairman in January, but her decision on whether to keep the unilateral power to do so may depend on how large a majority of the Democrats have after the election, whether committee Democrats would want to have a record on subpoena votes. <coughs> Rep. Raul Grivala, Grijalva, who would be expected to take the gavel at the Natural Resource Committee in the Democratic House, stopped short in a September interview of saying he'd pursue unilateral subpoenas, but he acknowledged that that's the logical next step if the administration did not comply with Democrats' oversight requests. Many Democrats argue that Republicans have only themselves to blame for weaponizing the subpoena process and that their own party should not 
unilaterally disarm now that the power has been unleashed. What goes around comes around, said former rep Bart Stupak, a Democrat from Michigan. Do I expect them to give up the unilateral subpoena power by chairman? No, and I don't think they should. Well, it's not the uniform viewpoint of everyone in the party. Rep. Bill Foster, a Democrat from Illinois, led a group of 38 Democrats in the October 2016 letter urging GOP leaders to abandon the power during the next Congress. <coughs> he told Politico he still thinks chairman should not have it. I will continue to oppose unilateral subpoena power. During my time in Congress, I have seen the majority power use the power to compel individuals to testify who differ from the committee chairs on policy matters. The committee should be expected to hold a vote on subpoena to determine if the committee issued a subpoena. Man, that's a lot to take in. I didn't even know this was a thing. Um, I know if you're getting kind of stonewalled, it sometimes this is necessary, but still, it should be a unilateral. It shouldn't be unilateral. It should always be bipartisan in that regard. So that's really all on them. They created that power, and now if it falls on Democrats, they're going to abuse it too, which two wrongs don't make a right in this situation, but we'll see what comes of it. And speaking of something that was touched upon briefly, or not really briefly, on a podcast view last week, and that involves the migrant caravan that's been slowly heading north. So, this article from the LA Times, U.S. Border Patrol stretched thin as a caravan heads north. So, U.S. Customs and Border Protection Commissioner Kevin McCallinan said asylum-seeking families have strained this agency's ability to respond to the caravan of thousands of immigrants headed for the U.S.-Mexico border. Obviously, the system is beyond capacity right now, the Border Patrol responsible transporting and caring for asylum seekers. I like to free up my officers and agents to do law enforcement work. That's what they're trained for. That's what the American people need them to do on the front line to address security risks. <coughs> President Trump has vowed to stop the caravan, but it's not clear how the Border Patrol will cope, giving an influx of asylum seeking families this year that recently accelerated. McLean said he plans to send special response and tactical teams to the border ahead of the caravan, likely to large ports of entry where the migrants might attempt to cross. They'll be joined by and troops the Pentagon is deploying to assist. We're not going to let a guard group push into the United States unlawfully, McLean said. On Friday, McLean toured ports of South, entry of South of San Diego and Ote Mesa and San Ysidro for meeting with Homeland Security Secretary Christian Nielsen at Calexico to review a newly built section of 30-foot border wall. The border has... Seen a recent surge of crossings by asylum seekers up to, from 7,800 last fiscal year to 17,000 fiscal year 2018 that ended in September. That's reflective of a border-wide surge in asylum seekers, mostly Central American families. More than 161,000 immigrant family members were caught or turned themselves in during the fiscal year that ended last month, 40% more than any previous year. Immigrants illegally claim asylum once they entered the U.S. last summer when immigrants' families began lining up on bridges to claim asylum. The Border Patrol began stationing officers at the midpoint or limit line of the crossing to stop them, citing limited processing space. In San Ysidro, immigrants turned away from the border can add their names to an unofficial waiting list, a process called metering that McLean and said kept waits manageable. Elsewhere on the border, asylum seekers just told to wait. Advocates have sued in California federal court, arguing the system is tantamount to rejecting asylum seekers. McLean said that if the Border Patrol sees a significant increase in asylum seekers, it will expand metering to other border crossings, effectively blocking immigrants from entering. So the agency has already faced a significant backlog of asylum seekers in Tijuana and delays at three or four other crosses, crossings daily. San Ysidro processes 100 asylum seekers a day and houses 300 larger than other crossings, which houses fewer than 100. McLean and toured holding areas where immigrants were processed behind chain-link fences and housed in locked cells that did not appear full.
Enhanced are likely to expand the agency's ability to process and home asylum-seeking families, but are not described specifics. <coughs> that appears unlikely. The Trump administration has locked in a legal battle to extend family detention, but for now, families with children cannot be detained for more than 20 days. Therefore, allowing more families in would mean releasing more pending resolutions of their immigrant cases. The system is failing us, McCain said. We absolutely need to overhaul the system and ask Congress to address the asylum gap. I definitely think that large influx is definitely going to cause a strain on the borders. Like, you can't just let 10,000 people in. It's a, it's a bit much. I think, obviously, they should go through the normal steps, but it sounds like 10,000 people, if they even get through 100 people a day, that's still a long time for people to be waiting right at the border to try and get processed through. Because you can't just let 10,000 in at once. That would just... It'd be like a horde in The Walking Dead. It just doesn't work. They need to come in more efficient, effective groups. I mean, I'm, I don't think it should be an open border. I think they, everyone needs to be processed, regardless of what they're fleeing from. You can't just let that many people in. It needs to be done effectively, with the right resources, the right amount of uh, aid and everything set up. But I just, just you can't bring that many people at one time. Half that is would be a bit much. I don't know. I just think this is just... It's like, and then we're going to see people sitting there, not starving, but sitting there in poor condition. We've seen the people behind chain link fences, like people that aren't necessarily prisoners, but they're being locked in a chain link fence holding like a dog that's being abused outside. But <coughs> I really don't know my thoughts on this yet. I... I can understand fleeing the the environment that you're dealing with back where you're from, but I think that you're just asking for more trouble and more chaos. And like they said on Moncastry last week, all it needs is someone misreading a situation and one shot being fired or one rock being thrown to cause a bloodbath that would just change our view with the U.S.-Mexico relations or everything regarding that southern border. I honestly hope everything processes smoothly, but I think this is all going to take time. You can't just expect 10,000 people to get processed in a day. And you can't say, I need all of my family with me that you brought with you because that's even more processing. You can't just let that family in because you have to let every other family in. And no one's going to go... Not many people are coming just by themselves. People are coming with their family and their extended family and their brothers and sisters and cousins and children and it's just you we need to just slow this thing down and do this more efficiently so we'll actually see what happens there and staying with the same story um a militia group plans to head to the u.s mexico border to stop the migrant caravan this is despite the caravan still being over a thousand miles away Militia groups and far-right activists are geared up to head to the Mexican border to try and stop a migrant caravan from entering the United States, as conservatives and the far-right escalate their warnings about the supposed danger it poses. Earlier this week, the Border Patrol warned landowners in Texas they could expect possible armed civilians on their property because of the news about the caravan. The exact details of when and where the militia would deploy are unclear, but one militia leaders told the Associated Press that they would have upwards of 100 members guarding the Mexico-Texas border. They're just laughing in our face. Shannon McGauley, president of the Texas Minutemen, said it's 
a free-for-all in America, another militia supporter, Monica Murren from Oregon, said that she raised around 4000 online to help militias with supplies and equipment. I see young fighting-age men who do not look like they're starving. They look like they're ready to fight, Marin told AP. We were, we were trained, but we're not hotheads. We're not out there to shoot people. <coughs> Militia members, as well as other foreign activists and patriot, quote, groups, have pounced on the Trump administration's rhetoric about the caravan, including that it might be funded by George Soros and included ISIS terrorists. Naturally, there is no actual evidence to back this up, and misinformation about the caravan is rife online. According to one senior administration official who spoke to the Daily Beast, however, the Trump administration is aware of its own mistruths, but it doesn't matter as long as it drums up Republican support for the midterms. Uh, the misinformation floating around about the scope of the migrant caravan has also led to additional false reports about those settings out to secure the border. For example, the pro-Trump... <coughs> The pro-Trump section of Facebook are awash with fake news about how, in addition to the militias, bikers are also heading to Texas to help secure the border. A fake story parts on the pro-Trump internet have repeatedly fallen for bikers leaving St. Louis, Missouri to protect the southern border. However, not everyone on the border is thrilled about the prospect of militias heading to their towns. As Arizona Family reports, the town of Arivica has put up signs saying the militias are not welcome there because, in the words of one resident, they're posting all kinds of falsehood. According to the AP, more than 1,700 members of the caravan have already applied for refugee status in Mexico, but thousands more remain determined to head to the U.S. border. Whether they arrive or not is another issue. Of the 4,000 migrants who headed to the Tijuana-San Diego crossing earlier this year, only 200 reached the U.S. border. So, like I said, I think a logical thing is to get further away. You don't necessarily have to be to seek Immigrant status in Mexico, if you're from Central America, you don't need to go to the U.S. You can find better life south of the border too. It's not an NLB. And like, what do you assume to happen? You think it's all going to be grass green, jobs aplenty when you cross the border? No, you're going to have just equal of rough life over here than you had there. Not as maybe not as equal, but not what you're expecting. It's not going to be a night and day difference. You're still going to need one to speak English, get a job find work for your family, find a place to live. You can't just expect that to just be available. I I just don't know. And I think in the militias, I don't... If I lived along the U.S.-Mexico border and they, a bunch of armed random people just started showing up, I would tell them to get off my lawn, but they'd have guns. And I'd be like, I don't have a gun. Let's just go away. Go across the border and defend it. Don't have to stand on this side. This We're not trying to perfect from white walkers here. Just get going. Um, and speaking of possible chaos happened, we actually already had some this uh, past weekend, and that is um, around the scene of the article, which is 72 hours in America, three hate-filled crimes, three hate-filled suspects. Consider the past week in America, Wednesday, a white man with a history of violence shot and killed two African-Americans see seemingly at random at a Kentucky Kroger store following a failed attempt to barge into a black church. After mail bombs were being sent to people who had been criticized by the president, a suspect was arrested Friday, a man who had railed against Democrats' minorities with hate-filled messages online. And Saturday morning, a man shooting, shouting anti-Semitic slurs opened fire at a Pittsburgh synagogue, killing 11 people attending Jewish services. Those three incidents in 72 hours shared one thing, hate. It's a terrible, terrible thing that's what's going on with our hate in our country and, frankly, all over the world. 
President Donald Trump told reporters Saturday before boarding Air Force One for a flight to a political rally in Indiana. <coughs> Death in the grocery store. It tried to first enter a church in Jefferson Town, Kentucky, just outside of Louisville. It was a predominantly black First Baptist church, and Gregory Bush allegedly banged on the door and tried to pull it open. Bush, a 51-year-old white man, didn't manage to get inside. The doors were locked. Bush then headed to a Kroger store where he allegedly shot two people, both African-American. The first victim was Maurice Stollard, 69, who was with his 12-year-old grandson buying a poster board for a school project. The second was Vicki Jones, 67, killed in the parking lot as Bush fled. I'm just sick and heartbroken and quite angry. I feel that way about any act of violence and cruelty, said Louisville Mayor Greg Fisher. Bush was has a history of mental illness, made racist threats, repeatedly called his ex-wife the N-word, according to court records. WDRB reported he had a lengthy criminal record that includes domestic violence, the station reported. Jefferson Town Mayor Bill Durf said it shook the community, which vows its sense of family. We are kindred spirits no matter our walk of life or how we worship or what we look like. We can take pride in that, he said. Bush is in custody and faces potential civil rights violations such as hate crimes through his attorney for the Western District of Kentucky, Russell Coleman said Friday. The murder is not being taken lightly by the United States government. Terror in the mail. When the Kentucky shooting happened, the nation was getting nervous about an increased number of suspicious packages being sent through the mail. The first one was discovered Monday afternoon at the home of liberal campaign donor and billionaire George Soros. Wednesday morning, the sec- Secret Service said two more had been found, one addressed to former Secretary of State Hillary Clinton and another to former President Barack Obama. Four more would be found before the end of day, including one sent to CNN's New York Bureau, prompting the evacuation of the entire building. Uh, Time Warner Center. The package sent to CNN, the first of two, was addressed to former CIA Director John Brennan. On Friday came word of an, more packages and then an arrest. A 56-year-old Florida man named Cesar Sayak. Federal authorities said he mailed a total of 14 packages containing pipe bombs, none of which detonated, but all of which were real. That's terrifying. Sayak's political inclinations were passionately displayed for everyone to see. His white Dodge van was plastered with pro-Trump messages and stickers showing prominent liberals in crosshairs. A sticker reading, CNN sucks, was also on the van. A former boss said Sarah called himself a white supremacist online. With two accounts on Facebook and three on Twitter, Sock often posted provocative photos and memes attacking liberals along with conspiracy theories. It was also a massacre in a synagogue. Sunday, Saturday morning brought news on a mass shooting at Pittsburgh synagogue where congregants... Uh, had gathered for services. A man shouting anti-Semitic slurs ran inside the Tree of Life synagogue in the close-knit neighborhood of Squirrel Hill and opened fire, killing 11 people. Six people were injured in the attack, but it left many more hurting. This is an absolute tragedy, Pennsylvania Governor Tom Wolf said in a tweet. The senseless acts of violence are not who we are as Americans. Robert Bowers, 46, was identified as the gunman and arrested. He had frequently expressed his disdain for Jews on social media and federal law enforcement officials said. Social media posts targeting Jews that are believed to have come from the Bowers are focused on the investigation, a federal law enforcement officer told CNN. Shortly before the shooting, in an account on the Gab social media platform that authorities are investigating, the suspects are believed to have posted that he can't sit by and watch my people get slaughtered. Screw your optics, I'm going in. Law enforcement sources told CNN that investigators believe that other anti-Semitic posts on the Gab account belong to Bowers. The language on the account matches the suspected motivation behind the shooting, the sources said. In one post, Powers wrote, HIAS likes to bring in invaders that kill our people, referring to a Jewish refugee advocacy group that held a national refugee Shabbat last weekend. Powers also posted xenophobic content claiming Jews were helping transport members of the migrant caravans in Latin America. 
That's a weird statement. Uh, U.S. Attorney General Jeff Sessions said Bowers now faces hate crime and other federal charges that could lead to the death penalty. Hatred and violence on the basis of religion can have no place in our society, Sessions said. These alleged crimes are reprehensible and utterly repugnant to the values of the nation. Now what comes next? Trump told reporters at Joint Base Andrews in Maryland that the shooting in Pittsburgh was a terrible, terrible thing. He offered support and sympathy and messages on Twitter saying all of America is in mourning following the massacre. The evil anti-Semitic attack is an assault on humanity. It takes, it will take all of us working together to extract the poison of anti-Semitism from our world. We must unite to conquer hate, the president wrote. Sessions promised to bring the full force of law against anyone who would violate the civil rights of the American people. Hundreds gathered for a vigil Saturday night in Squirrel Hill to mourn the victims of the synagogue shooting and show support for the Jewish community. We'll have so much more in common than we have to differentiate us, and I think rights like tonight remind us of that. An interfaith service also took place at 6 Presbyterian Church in Squirrel Hill on Saturday night, KDKA reported. Morning will continue as communities all over the country wake up Sunday to practice their faith. They'll watch football games. The Pittsburgh Steelers have home games Sunday and the crucial Game 5 of the World Series. Sunday morning talk shows will try to dissect the events of the past week and what it will mean for America's future. But the victims will relieve the tragedies long after those hate-filled 72 hours. Am I... Hearts go out to all the families of all the victims. It's, it's tragedies that aren't necessarily... I feel like in this divided America that we're kind of in now, the people with such thin skin and overzealous nature that are causing these things to happen, and people just need to just accept each other for who they are and just move on. You don't need that much hate in your life. It's kind of ridiculous. And this is another, uh, the final thing I want to talk about tonight is regarding the an article from Political with the subdued Trump tones rhetoric down just a little bit at Illinois rally. President Donald Trump, by his own admissions, toned down his fiery political rhetoric at a rally in southern Illinois on Saturday evening after a fatal mass shooting at a synagogue in Pittsburgh. The president delivered a few of his trademark blistering attacks on his political rivals or adversarial groups during his rally at the 8,000-seat Murfreesboro Airport hangar to boost statewide political allies ahead of the midterm elections, delivering a largely aspirational address. Although Trump frequently insults the members of the media on the site to cover his remarks, the president resisted criticizing them directly on Saturday, likening the reporters to Hollywood paparazzi instead of enemies of the people. Look, this is like the Academy Awards. Look how many cameras they have back there, Trump said in a tepid response instead of a usual rousing cheer and chain against the assembled media. It's the Academy Awards. We are in the Academy Awards. After the briefest of mentions of Hillary Clinton as 2016 presidential opponent, Trump appeared to wave away a crowd's attempt to start a locker-up chant. The president did assail Democratic Massachusetts Senator Elizabeth Warren, but it was a mild attack in which he conceded he couldn't use his trademark moniker for since she took an ancestry test. No, I can't use Pocahontas anymore, he declared wistfully. He mentioned Maxine Waters, but without attacking a further insult, there was no verbal lashing of crying Chuck Schumer. I learned that even the president had told reporters to expect a more muted rally performance. I'll have a very much different tone tonight, Trump said after arriving at Southern Illinois Airport, according to a pool report. I would like to be able to have a tone that I have because I feel very strongly about it, and I have had much different tone, frankly, if the press was even-handed. If the press was fair, I'd have a much different tone all the time. Trump was less diplomatic in his public statement after a series of bombs were mailed earlier in the week that targeted CNN and several high-profile Democrats, but Saturday's shooting affected the president deeply, he told reporters. Eleven people died during a gunman's rampage at the Tree of Life Synagogue in Pittsburgh, heavily Jewish Squirrel Hill neighborhood. Earlier Sunday, the deadliest synagogue attack in American history, seven were injured, including four law enforcement officers and the suspect. 
You feel differently when you're president and you're in charge and you see something like this. The level of pain is incredible, Trump said according to a pool report. Still, Trump's more subdued hour on stage might not have been enough to satiate a prairie state audience hungry for the flamethrowing oratory the president has employed at rallies in the other battleground districts over the past several weeks. If you don't mind, I'm going to tone it down just a little bit, Trump said roughly 10 minutes into his remarks. Is that okay? When the crowd resoundingly responded in the negative, the president said, I had a feeling you might say that. Now he's just, like, complaining, like, oh, woe is me, I can't be my usual self because of all this tragedy, and I just want to bluster around and do my usual shtick, but, yeah, you can't have it both ways. You can't be like, oh, because of all this stuff, I can't be myself, and then have people sympathize for you. No, just be the president, be civil, be, just do your job, and you don't need to... Like, the locker-up chain is... It's been two years. Just chill. I'm sick of that stupid thing. What was he going to lock her up for? If she had something worth locking her up for, he would have done it already. He's just... Uh, I'm just sick of it. <laughs> I'm sick of it. I'm tired of it. I just wish there was... You would just be a normal presidential person. Like, presidential used to mean something. If you looked up the definition of presidential, it usually means... Digni it's usually synonymous with dignified, and under this president, it's not as much. I know people are going to complain and say, like, oh, other presidents before him have not been presidential. I'm sure there's there's times when they're not, but this changes the whole being. Like, President Trump, under his tenure as president, has definitely changed the connotation of the of being presidential. So, I really don't know where that leaves us. We're going to have to see what happens next week when we have the midterm election. We'll see if there's a Democratic shift in the House or the Senate, or if the Republicans are going to retain control of both houses. It's really a kind of a coin toss at this point because it all depends on voter turnout and what happens here. I know I'm voting. I hope everyone else votes. Even if you think that midterms don't matter, just vote. I don't care if you're voting Republican or Democrat. Just exercise your right. It's ridiculous that during an election year for president there is roughly 50 to 60 percent of the u.s population votes on a midterm or an off year for presidential elections it's like 30 and even lower amounts for like your general election that involve like lower level like mayors aldermen other city low-level personnel i don't know i just think you need to exercise your right to vote it's not that hard it's not that much pain out of your it's not that inconvenient for you i do it on my way to work it takes 10 minutes i vote i get on with my day i fill out my ballot i put it in the machine it counts my vote and i go about my day it's not that big a deal i'm gonna do it again on tuesday and that'll actually be the next episode of poor news will be all about post election coverage it'll be a good episode or bad episode depending on the turnout but i'm hoping to by the time i record i'm gonna try and record I might, I'm not going to live stream. I don't have a good enough camera for that yet. Live stream will probably come in 2019, but I might be, I might be tweeting or Facebook posting during the night as the re results are coming in and I'll definitely record a, maybe that night I'll probably record an episode of poor news that'll drop on early on Patreon. I may even talk to Nate about dropping it early on the main feed for those who want a brief recap of it, or maybe I'll condense it. I'll have 
maybe Nate put a short version out early and then do the full episode on our normal drop or our early access on the Patreon. So we'll figure that out, but definitely stay tuned for that. Um, so there might be two episodes next Tuesday of Poor News and a Poor Entertainment. So, but I think that'll do it for this week. I am Andrew Port. Have a great week and definitely just stay safe, stay kind to others. Just do what Mr. Rogers said and just make everyone your neighbor. Thanks, guys.